So, Peter, part of our lifecycle extension program, we are trying to gather best practices from all the people who have went through a lot of processes or initiatives that are kind of difficult to replicate. Um, you are basically a multiple serial new initiatives champion. Mm -hmm. You are now at, at least a second initiative that yeah. you are doing yep. with Yonder. And I, I feel that you get a lot of the starting a new initiative, the requirements part very well and very good. So can you explain a little bit the process uh, behind starting a new initiative? What is the driver, for instance, for a, a new product or a new initiative? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I think it's, it's, it's got to start with a customer problem, a problem we're trying to solve. And it starts with an idea. Um, that I think that's the most important thing is it's an idea. It's organic. It starts with customer problem. Um, and then from there, you try to figure out what's the solution? How do we solve it? Um, and then you can worry about everything else after that. But it's got to start with a customer problem that we're trying to address. That's where, that's the key. How it's do you cool. discover that problem? Uh, is it coming customers. from support or you have to be actually on uh, uh, ground? Some present comes here? through support, but a lot of that, if it comes through support, it's filtered. So a lot of it is just customer outreach, just talking to the customer and just getting on a one-on-one -on -one level with the customers. That's super important, you know, and trust is important too. Because customers, they want to talk to people that they trust. They don't want, you know, like, not talking bad about sales, but they don't want to talk to a salesman, right? They want to talk to somebody who has domain experience that understands their problem and somebody that they can trust in. So it starts a lot with just one-on-one -on -one interaction and customers trusting that you can deliver them solutions that, that'll solve their problems. So basically what is the role at, as, as which you go to, to request customers to get that trust? Because you mentioned sales is maybe not the right uh, channel for, for, for doing that. Uh, I, it's hard to say. I think it's just um, years, just years of experience, just working with um, the software and working with the domain, understanding their workflow. Um, you got to kind of speak their language. I work in healthcare, so yeah. um, you have to kind of know their workflow and you have to know what they're going through on a, on a daily basis. I mean, you don't have to like live it, but you have to understand what they're going through. So. I guess sympathy, right? Sympathetic yeah. to customers, understanding what they're going through and, and being able to kind of talk their language. Yeah. Do you have customer visits that are just with the purpose of seeing how they are doing, what their troubles, what their troubles mm -hmm. are, what their pain points are and so on? Yeah, yeah, we go out um, to customer sites. We try to keep it kind of open-ended. A lot of it will come back to application problems, defects, bugs, things like that. Ultimately, it'll, you know, discussion will lead to that. But we do checkpoints, you know, we just go in and how are things going? You know, how can we help you? Um, what are the problems that you're dealing with? So just open discussion with customers. And is it a, a, a particular user type that you're targeting with the questions or that you're observing like the end users or you are talking with the IT staff that's responsible for the infrastructure? How do you get the right level? To, to actually see the problems that they are having. It's, well. it's, a, it's a mix, but you really have to, um, to get that user experience, you gotta get down to the actual user. So people that are, you know, they're on the keyboard, they're on their mobile phone, they're dealing with the problems. Uh, we deal with uh, healthcare, so it's actual patient interaction. So you gotta get, get down to that user level, people that are interacting with patients. Um, but then sometimes you gotta you know, take it up a few levels Right, because a lot of times they're not the decision makers right. for 
budgetary or technology. Like you have to go up a couple levels, maybe talk to an IT director or a chief information officer, or CIO. Um, and more recently now with electronic um, health systems, um, there's a new position, uh, Chief Medical Information Officer, so CMIO. So they're um, clinically driven, but they have a background in technology so they can help making uh, in decisions for um, the hospital on what technologies to decide on and what software programs to implement. Right. Do you think it, there are specific type of clients that can help you envisioning that solution to the problem or basically you can go to any of the customers and try to ask for help in figuring out how the solution should look like what the problems are are there customers that can you can help you more in kind of shedding lights on the problems that they have and trying to work with you to find the solution are there specific type of, of uh, yeah such customers? for sure i mean there's it's just like anything there's good customers and there, there's bad customers right um so you want to you really want to talk with customers that are offering solutions not necessarily just giving you their problems or complaining all the time um, but there's definitely um there's customers that are um a little bit more open to to dialogue and discussion and problem solving and those are the customers that we target um ones that are willing to work with us um you know because they have their just like everybody else, they have their day jobs, right? So yeah. they take care of patients. So it's always extra, right? If you're dealing with a vendor or if you're working with them to solve problems, it's always a little bit extra for them. So it's it 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 takes a certain customer, right? Customers that are willing to go beyond their normal day jobs to work with us to find and help uh, solve problems. So that's super yeah. important. Um, and it's not like there's good customers and there's bad customers. So. You know, it's it's hard to it's hard to find the, the really good ones that want to kind of go the extra mile and work with us to help yeah. solve their problems. And I would imagine to be able to discover these customers, you have to be on ground, you have to be mm -hmm. in contact with them for to sure. gain their trust. So you have yeah. to have a relationship in there. That's why getting out of the business and in front of the customer is that important. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There's we you know we we deal with software, so we deal with code and. Um, backlogs and grooming, but there's always the human aspect of, there's the software, but then there's the human aspect of it. And that's super important. Um, so it's, you know, developers, they just, they just work at their desks, right? They don't really interact with the customers, but I think it's important for them to understand uh, the problems that they're trying to solve. It, you can really only solve them or understand them unless you've seen it or you're sympathetic to who you're developing for. So having that kind of customer interaction one-on-one -on -one is super important. And once you discover a pain point, for instance, um, do you use anything like hypothesis-driven approach to try to d determine for which segment of customers would that pain point be critical, how many of them would be willing to pay, and so on? Do um, you try to, to look at the problems from this perspective prior to engaging into kind of a new initiative? Um, yeah. you. <laughs> I mean, so there's a, being like an initiative champion, you kind of have to, like you're jack of all trades. So you kind of have to have a, um, you know, an idea, a creative side about things, but then you have to be kind of scientific about your hypothesis, improving your hypothesis. And then there's obviously the financials that come into it too. So it's, um, it, you, you have to kind of work, you know, both sides of the, of the coin being a champion. So you have to understand the, science and math about it, but then also you have to understand the human aspect, the sympathetic portion of solving problems. So right. 
Yeah, but it's not like, I mean, you don't sit down in a laboratory and, you know, write out my hypothesis. It's more just part of the thinking process, right? Is trying to engage customers into entering kind of a paid model in which they would mm. actually be required to contribute to the risk of the initiative with a certain amount of money important in terms of the conversation about the specific feature in the sense that uh, once a customer is committed, is it willing to be more part of the process as opposed to maybe a customer that's, yeah, of course, every idea is a great idea, yeah, every yeah. improvement is a great improvement that would basically acknowledge everything that you say. Mm -hmm. So does the, the, the fact that we require them to commit to, to a certain idea or initiative changes the conversation into a better conversation? Yeah, it's tough. Um, it's tough to ask customers um, for like an investment or money up front for a product that doesn't exist, right? So it, it really comes down to um, uh, talking to them about the value that it's gonna provide. Um, and it's important though to get a little investment because you want customers to have some skin in the game, right? right? If they think that something that you're developing is important enough, they're gonna pay for that, right? There's value in that. So they'll find value in something. That's why, that's why like figuring out their real problem is important because like they're going to they're going to pay, pay. yeah they'll, they'll pay something for a big enough problem that you're going to solve yeah. and the fact that they're willing to commit to something that doesn't even exist tells a lot about the problem that you're trying to solve yeah. so there's definitely value in that um you don't want customers to just yeah yeah we'll we'll, we'll go ahead and do that right, right right and then you get into it three months from now and then they're gone yeah. right like you've spent all this time with them and they well, they had nothing invested, right? So they could just walk away, yeah. right? So it's it's important to get that um, customer commitment, not just like a verbal commitment, but also them uh, willing to put some skin in the game yeah. because the, the, the key is solving the problems that are big enough for them to want to pay for that to be solved. So, so basically the, the, the payment part is important because it basically validates the mm -hmm. value of the initiative. Absolutely. So if you find customers that are willing to pay for a solution, it means that the problem in itself is worth uh, that, that yep. the investment. And from this perspective, once you, for instance, manage to get customers committed to an initiative or an idea, how do you make sure that you keep that to an MVP, minimum viable product, so you actually not end up yeah. building a huge colossus from the first year? Yeah, week? yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. Like I mentioned, you kind of have to be, like as an initiative champion, you kind of have to be a jack of all trades. Um, <clears throat> so you got to put your project manager hat on and you really got to control the scope, but it starts early on. You let them know upfront before they actually pay <clears throat> that when we get this started, right? It, there has to be a very specific scope or else we're never going to get this thing done. Right? So you have to you put your no hat on and you got to say no sometimes, right? right? Cause I mean, you always like technology is always evolving. You're always going to want more and more and more, but it, it'll never end. So you have to define a scope even before you go into it and let the customers know up front, this is what it's gonna be, right? And the, but tell them why, tell them why you're doing it. And a lot of them, like we work in healthcare, they don't understand the whole software development life cycle and how this can just keep creeping. Yeah. So it, it helps to just explain to them how it works, like a simple little button, right? In the customer's mind, yeah, just add this button here, right? It's it seems simple from an end user perspective, yeah. but 
there's a lot that goes into that writing requirements. How do you want it to react? What page to go to next? What color do you want? So there's some things that seem simple are really not that simple. Yeah. So if you help them understand the entire development process, it definitely helps um, when you kind of lay the law down on we're yeah. not going to we're not going to increase scope. But if you want to, you're going to have to pay for it. Right. Because time is money yeah. when it comes down to it. So it's really about kind of controlling the scope and making sure that customers understand that, like, you're not trying to be mean, right? You're just trying to get the same results, get results that um, are going to solve their problem. Is it about uh, trying to solve pain points to customers or more about, or it's, it's not necessarily more, but it's also about creating up possibilities or opening up possibilities. What they are more uh, willing to invest in when they have actually a, a problem that hurts, that takes time away, or when actually there is an opportunity to create time or maybe to create, uh, uh, to open fronts to them? I think it's more of the former. I think they're, they're really, um, they're focused on problems that need to be solved, not necessarily like the potential, at least in our domain in healthcare. It's really about um, maximizing your time, spending more time with patients, and how can I do my job more efficiently, right? So those are all, problems they're trying to solve, not necessarily like, you know, innovation, uh, yeah. at least in, in our domain, that's what, what I've experienced is more uh, problem solving, not necessarily like forward thinking into the future. So it's, I mean, but you get, I mean, some customers are, 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 are like that, you know, they're a little more tech savvy and they're a little more forward thinking, but I think that's more exception than the rule. Once you, are, you find out a pain point, something that has a potential to, to become a new initiative, mm -hmm. how do you get from uh, one idea to a backlog of an MVP of an initiative? Yeah, it's all, it's all part of the, the process, the iterative process. You know, it's really about um, the key thing for um, like product people like myself involved in the product is just listening, right? Just listening to the customer, not necessarily like because we always want to try to solve stuff right away, like give solutions, give me a solution, like ah, I can do that. But it's really about just like early on, just listening, right? Listening to their problems, getting it documented, you know, putting it in the backlog and letting, I mean, a lot of time development teams, they have, you know, architects and developers that are a lot smarter than the product people and just telling their story and letting them come up with the solution. So using your resources for what they get paid to do is coming up with, you know, the right technology and the right solutions to solve their problems. So, I mean, it's, it's all part of the, you know, the software development life cycle, right? It's about listening to their problems, getting, getting it documented, and then presenting the problems to the engineers, right? And they're the smart ones in the room. Right. So they, you trust them to come up with the solutions that are gonna work. I, I happen to know that you actually, before starting building any product, you went through a number of iterations, uh, trying to do a mock-up, some prototypes, mm -hmm. uh, validating those with the customers. How important is that process and how long can it be? Super important. Um, it's like everything seems good when you talk about it, but if you want customers to believe in an idea, it has to be something tangible, especially with software. It has to be something that they can see, that they can interact with, because there's always there's always going to be a human interaction. And for humans, like they need to feel, like they need to see something. I'm the same way. You're probably actually you're a coder, so you probably. <laughs> oh, he laughed. I got him to smile. Um, <clears throat> but 
again, it, it goes back to the human aspect. Like, if I am going to buy something or buy into something, it has to be something that I can see. So prototyping is huge. It's huge. When I uh, the first initiative that um, I was involved with, I worked I worked with you guys, uh, which was wonderful, um, and I had pitched ideas to customers. I had done webinars and really like the idea was great. Like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. But really no takers, no investors until I had a prototype, clickable wireframe, something that they could see. Like, this is what we're thinking. And it looks totally different from the prototype, but that really doesn't matter because it's, it's something that they can see, something that they can experience. It goes back to that human aspect. It has to be something that, um, that they can visualize and see. It can't just be words, right? right? And it can't just be like a PowerPoint, you know, like a bullet point. It can't be that. It's gotta be something that they can interact with. So prototyping, clickable wireframes, that is super important to getting customer buy-in. So it really starts, you know, it starts with an idea, but then you have to prototype something. Um, and it doesn't have to be the finished product. It just has right. to be something that they can see, like they can, you know, buy into or believe in, right? So beyond the, the, the getting the buy-in part, how important is the prototyping part to trying to refine the ideas or the scope or the kind of functionalities that are behind? It's definitely, it's, it's, it's really important, you know, and, and it's an iterative process. Like when we worked on our mobile application, we went through a lot of different iterations, tweaking, you know, like micro adjustments, but it all, it all just helps with the process and it helps the developers too, because they understand right. from a user perspective what what the end goal is, right? What are we what are we trying to accomplish? What are we trying to solve? So it definitely helps to have the prototypes because it, it provides a framework or a guideline for the developers as well. Yeah. Right. So they, they know what the user is going through. So you basically went with the prototype back to the customers to get feedback and so on. Did you try to do a selection of the customers in the sense that trying to have a cross section between smaller, bigger, medium customers, or did you try to target a specific uh, segment of the customers? Um, I, it was just really, we just wanted customers to buy in. So it didn't matter if they were large or big. I mean, it's really hard, uh, at least in, in healthcare, there's not a whole lot of demand for customers willing to try or beta something because uh, it sounds cliche, but they're, they're taking care of people on the computer, right? They're not willing to try something that may not work or it may break, or maybe this allergy won't trigger. Oh, but it's okay. We're just testing. Like there's not a whole, a, a big appetite for that in the healthcare space um, because they're actually taking care of patients. So um, I, I figured like, we're going to do this mobile app. It's going to be awesome. They're all going to sign up. No, I mean, that's why it takes a certain customer, a special customer willing to devote the time to understand like, it's not gonna be perfect at first, right? But you're gonna help us make it, make it uh, good for you and good for everybody else. So it takes a certain, a certain customer. They're not, not all willing to sign up for something that may not work at first, you know, but will perfect it, but it's all part of the process. So it's, it's really special certain customers yeah. that, that wanna do it. I, I would imagine that different customers and, and corporations have different processes. So the requirements or the expectations part from an initiative could be quite different uh, depending on who you approach. 
how do you manage to get everybody online on a set of features? Do you get everybody on the same table and try to get out with a set of agreed requirements? Or do you try to negotiate independently with each of them uh, a set of features that would probably kind of be a good mixture? Yeah, it's it's tricky uh, because like it, it's probably never really good to just have one customer sign up for something because they're naturally just going to make it theirs, right? It's going to meet their needs. I'll do this, do that. But that, you know, that may meet their needs, but not the 80% of the other customers. So it's definitely important to get at least, you have to have at least two, right? You got to keep things, keep it honest, but three is good. And how, how I did it with um, our mobile application is I didn't talk to them all at the same time. Um, I had individual meetings separate uh, during the week. And then I would toss the ideas out from the other customers, just like, just dropping little hints. See, is, what do you guys think about this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah, but that that's maybe not how we want. Well, how would you want to do it? Would that work good for another customer? Yeah, I think so, pretty much. So it's it's just, it's kind of like a social experiment, right? You just kind of toss things up. And then a lot of times, like, that's how we shot down a lot of ideas. It's like, that's way too specific for you guys. It's not going to work for the for the for everybody else. So I mean, what do you think? And usually, like the good customers, like they appreciate that, right? Then they can understand that we're building this thing, but it, it needs to be like what's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? So, yeah. um, and they they appreciate that as long as you un explain to them how the process is going to work. Like we're going to build this. It's it's going to be good for you, right? But let's think about all the other caregivers that are in your same universe. How do you think they would react to something like that? Yeah, yeah. and they're, they're honest with you. You know, you, it, the thing is, it's just being transparent with your customers and letting them know like how the process works and you know, how, you know, how these things get, uh, get done. And I, I would imagine there is quite a lot of features at some point that the imagination kicks in and they would probably want all kinds of things like bells and visuals. Mm -hmm. How do you manage uh, things that might not be part of the MVP, but they would still require at some point. It's hard. It's hard because like with customers, I'm very customer focused. So like if they want something, oh, yes, we can do that. Yeah, yes, we can do that. But you, you would never finish a product just by saying yes. So it really starts like from the beginning, like what we talked about before is establishing scope, right? And you have to be a little elastic with it, right? I mean, you let things come in. But you also need to say no when the scope is gonna get way out of whack. So it's 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 kind of a it's like a it's a it's a balance, right? Um, you got to put your project manager hat on, like this. You know, it, it's gonna come down to what what's it gonna take, right? How much effort, how much effort, risk reward, like for the benefit, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? So it comes down to just making sure that you understand how much work it's actually gonna take versus the. Wait, what's the potential? No one's going to benefit from this. No, we're not going to do it. You know, so you have to just make sure you're clear with the customers on, you know, how that how that works. And, you know, if there's if there is something that they say we need to have that in there, it was never in scope. I mean, and you put your project manager hat on and you charge them for a change request. Right. Is it like, yeah, that's kind of nice, but we're not willing to pay for that so maybe it's not that important right? right so when you like as a project manager you you get firm with them and say okay that's a great idea we're already locked in the scope it's going to cost this much right 
I don't know, we're not willing. Uh, okay, well, it's not that important. If it's super important, they will pay for it, right? It's something that needs to be in there. They're willing to pay for it. And that's super important to have those kind of guidelines when you're running a project is to understand, you know, here's our scope, it's established. Well, there's a little elasticity in there, but it's gonna depend on how much work is required and is it providing extra value? Because if it's, if it's gonna, it's gonna cost us money to do this. And if the customer's willing to pay to get that change done, then it's probably something you should have done in the first place. So right. it's, worth, it's, it's worth a scope change, right? Right. So Agile in itself uh, does look at the product owner as a customer representative, and there is periodic demos in, in show, showing mm -hmm. the, the value and the yep. product has been built. Did you show anything from, from the sprint demos uh, while the product was built to the actual customers? Or did you wait until the product actually completed, the MVP completed? No, and that's part of the whole selling process with customers is getting them to sign up, um, is letting them know that they're gonna be part of the process. Like, they're gonna help us make the sausage, right? Like, they're gonna see the, the, the guts and the nuts and bolts of it. And that's part of why a customer would wanna sign up, because they wanna see, like, what's the progress? Like, I wanna know, like, I gave you this feedback, you listened, and did you put it in? Oh yeah, that looks great. That's exactly what we wanted. So it's part of um, the selling process, get early adopters is letting them know this is an iterative process. We're gonna take your feedback, we'll determine if it's, you know, if it's willing to you know, make it into the code, and then we will show you at the end of the week, or the end of the sprint, right? That usually yeah. two week sprints. At the end of the sprint, this is what you said, we listened, is this what you expect? And a lot of times it's yes, oh, that's, that's awesome. You know what I mean? And, and they, they feel like bought into that because you're actually taking their feedback and incorporating it into the entire process. And that's, like, that's what you sell them on. Like, hey, you guys, you get into this, like you're gonna have a voice, right? That this is, this is what's in it for you is you get to contr control it as much as you want, right? Within certain guidelines. But that's part of why they would buy in in the first place is I want to be able to um, let the developer know like how we want this done and why it would benefit. So they're, they're part of the whole process and it definitely helps in the selling process to get them signed up early because they can be part of the... Uh, right. So basically when you start the actual selling process, is it something that you start after you finish the MVP? So basically you're focusing now on the group of customers that sign in for the MVP and you focus on the MVP. And once that's finished and clear and deployed and demoed and accepted, you start looking for other customers or the next version of the product, or you start that even earlier while still build working on MVP. Yeah, you gotta start, you gotta start early. So it's, it's part of just being kind of a salesman, you know what I mean? You're selling something that maybe doesn't really exist, but it's an idea. So it starts, it starts you gotta start early in the process of selling the idea um, and having the wireframes and things like that. It's gotta be something that they can see, right? So it really starts with that prototype coming out of the gate, the prototype, you know, you, you present it to customers like, hey, this is, this is what you guys, this is your problem. This is what we think is what you're willing to, you know, help us solve. And it's, you know, it starts early on. You gotta keep, keep selling it the whole time. So basically you never stop uh, never in stop. the process. Nope. Okay. Um, getting back to the product manager uh, head, how do you keep on with the current legislation changes, mm -hmm. the complexity of the new rules and regulations and so on? How do you make sure that uh, 
you're kind of prepared and not surprised by changes in legislation that could have an impact on especially the legacy products because with newer products mm -hmm. usually the code base and the scope is smaller and thus the changes are potentially less uh, impactful but with older products with larger code mm -hmm. bases major changes in legislation could have a major uh, change in, uh, in in the in the maintainability or things of the code yeah it's definitely hard and a lot it, it, what a lot of times what happens is le legislation will drive the features that we develop, right? Because it's, it's something that the government, at least in the U.S., it's something that the government says you have to do this, right? There are there are penalties or there are rewards if you do that. So um, customers, they're forced to do something and we have to comply with that. So a lot of um, like the features that we develop um, are driven sometimes by legislation um, and it's things are changing all the time um, especially in the u.s there's um, laws and security and um, uh, a lot of new healthcare policies are coming into effect all of the time so it's it's virtually impossible for any like one person to follow everything so uh, we we have a team at at uh, in harris healthcare that helps monitor um, kind of the daily activities and they filter out a lot of the noise and they they'll specifically mention things that okay, this is important for you guys, you probably should do something here. So it's impossible to follow everything, but we, we, have, a, um, we, you know, we have a doctor um, that we use and we share. It's a shared resource for all of Harris Healthcare. And she filters out a lot of that noise and really pinpoints the important things that we need to do as a business unit that will impact our users. So it's, it definitely helps. It's not like any one person can't follow all the legislation changes. It's, it's changing all the time. As, as a product manager, how do you feel about technical innovation versus functional innovation? You know, developers are very, very focused on the technical innovation. Sure, they sure. want to always play with the light, latest tools mm -hmm. and ISIS uh, toys. Uh, but as a product manager, how do you feel about this? I try to not have feelings when it comes to technical decisions because I don't know enough about it, right? I'm more of a like product creative, here's a problem, here's what we're trying to solve you guys figure it out. And you just have to trust that the developers are, they're gonna, they're gonna do code or recommend code that's going to be cost effective, that's going to be efficient, and it's gonna solve the problem. So you kind of have to have blind faith in your resources that they're gonna offer solutions that are, that are gonna work, right? right? Obviously for, you know, if it's legacy code, right? Sometimes that code's, you know, really bad. Um, and hopefully, hopefully they don't make it worse by developing, um, you know, worse legacy code, uh, or if there's potential like more modern solutions, more modern code, you hope that they come up with those ideas so that you can implement them. But it's like as a product manager, like we're gonna have issues if I'm starting to recommend like table structure or what code to have. Like if, if I'm doing that, then we have a problem. Like there's danger, danger. Peter is recommending this code, not good. That is not good for anybody. We don't want that. Do you think developers have a clear differentiation between technical innovation and functional innovation? In the sense that many times I'm just noticing that for, for people innovation, it's automatically technical innovation. While for the customers, the, the innovation that really matters is never technical, it's functional yep. innovation. Yep. So. They don't care. They don't care. They want it to work this way. So I don't care how you do it. How you ensure that actually all the developers that work with you understand the distinction between technical and functional in the one that matters to the customers and 
It's hard. Yeah, it's it, there's no I mean, there's no easy solution for understanding what what we try to do is, uh, uh, you know, adequately explain the problem to the developers. So they're at least sympathetic to the problem that we're trying to solve. Right. We can never ask them to, you know, live the life of a doctor or a nurse. But, you know, it comes down to the, the, the product owner. It's their job to make sure that the developers understand why why am I doing this? Like what what is why am I doing this widget? Right. What is this? What is this doing? It comes out of their product team. That's what they're paid to do, is to translate the complex requirements a lot of times for the customer, the problems that we're trying to solve, and how does that, how does that translate into a developer, right? Yeah. So they, and a lot of times, the developers love it. They appreciate it like, okay, I'm gonna build this widget, but why? And they do, they appreciate what? Let, you know, sit them down, talk to them. Okay, here's what happens. Uh, what would you do, right? What would you do if you were in this situation? Would you want to click that every time you did so? No, that would be super annoying, right? So developers are smart, right? They always say like developers are lazy, right? They're the laziest people. We want to write more efficient code, right? So as long as you sit down and have a conversation with them about the problems they're trying to solve, a lot of times they're super, um, uh, um, I guess, uh, receptive to that. Right. Yep. What do you think are the skills that makes a great new initiative champion? Um, that's a very, very difficult question. Um, and honestly, a champion, it, it's only going to really work if you're a true champion and you believe and you have passion in what you're doing, right? Because it's, it's hard, right? You got to do, you got to do the sales. You got to do, um, you know, the pitching. You got to figure out, is this, does, is there a market for this? Is this going to work? Is it? How much is this going to cost? Is there a benefit for our customers? And then, I mean, you want to get involved in the technology, but you kind of have to oversee and make sure that the technology that you're making is the right decision for the customers. So you, you kind of have to do everything, but none of that's going to matter if you don't care about the product you're doing, right? If you care about it and you're truly passionate about it, you're going to want to do it, right? Because it's yours. Like, this is my baby. I'm going to do this for my customers. And the most important is, is just be passionate about the product that you're doing. And I think that also comes from understanding the customers, right? And sympathizing with the customers. Um, that's super important is just, you know, being passionate about uh, what you're doing. So basically a, a good champion starts with somebody that has been with the customers, understand the domain. It's familiar with, with both the customers and the domain. Absolutely. Yep. It all starts with the customers, right? It, it all goes down to the, that end user. What are they put yourself in their situation? If you had to do these tasks, right? What would you want this software to do to make your life easier? So it really comes, it comes down to that end users reaching out to the customer and understanding what they're, what they're truly going through and what, what you're trying to solve. So it all starts with that. It starts and ends with that, basically, is the end user. Well, thank you very much, Peter. Thank I you. I think it matters a lot. Yeah. I wish you good luck with uh, your current initiative and the many new initiatives that are going to come, I'm sure. Thank you. Yes, I hope it goes well, and I hope we get a lot of customers that sign up for it. Thank you. You're welcome.